We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovics. Joining me today is Danielle DiMartino Booth. We did a, a, a quick kind of Fed Minutes review last time coming up right after the the Fed minutes were announced. This time we're doing it a little bit before. So welcome, Danielle, CEO and founder of Quill Intelligence. It's great to be here today. So some were commenting that there wasn't much change from the Fed stance, while others were saying that it was the most dovish statement of the last two years. So how did you perceive this nearly month-old minutes that were released today? Well, I didn't really see the minutes as being um, anything more than consistent with what Chair Powell has said publicly since he sounded way too dovish at the press conference. In fact, um, Vonnie Quinn was was a, a Bloomberg host. She was saying at the time that the, the, the word counting algorithms had counted the use of the word inflation 91 times and the use of the word disinflation zero. So it's pretty obvious that these minutes were, if nothing else, even if they didn't don't don't make a lot of headlines, at least they were massaged to try and correct for any market participants thinking that the Fed was getting ready to pause. Because uh, that's certainly the impression that he left three weeks ago when the statement was originally released. And after his press conference, the market started to price out future rate hikes. And he has since corrected that. And then the minutes just drilled that home today. So any idea that the Fed's about to pivot or pause, I think is off off the table. And that to me is not how I would characterize anything as being dovish. That means that we're going to keep going. We're going to persistently maintain tight policy going forward, get used to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Inflation was mentioned 91 times, rates 24, markets 15, spending eight. And it goes down from there. But interestingly, jobs wasn't really in there either. Mm. Well, I can't mention jobs. Um, you know, the, the the whole idea that there's a strong labor market, it's difficult to convey when 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 large company bankruptcies are 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 you know they're running at the fastest pace since 2009. Um, just as you and I speak to today, the two of us, there were two more large bankruptcies that were announced today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every, every bankruptcy that we see come and go, every Every closing of a business firm, you know, we're, uh, there's more than 10 closings per day right now, separate from the bankruptcies, but there's more than 10 closings every day. All of this translates into lost jobs. And even though you can rely on that 3.4% unemployment rate because it sounds good and that's the official data, it's getting to be more difficult to combat the headlines if you're Fed officials, because there are simply so many of them, especially when it things branch out from being, you know, oh, that's a isolated event in Silicon Valley to look, mm-hmm. McKinsey is putting through 2000 job cuts, one of the biggest ever in the history of the company, you know, instead of advising people on how to reduce their own headcount, they've looked inward and they're reducing their headcount. So mm-hmm. it's going to be harder for the Fed to maintain that dialogue, that narrative going forward. That being said, you know, they've just got a nice seasonal adjustment bump for Mannheim used cars in the first half of the month. So 
um, so people can you know continue to be excitable about inflation. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll clarify. You know what Mannheim reported for the first two weeks of February is that used car prices rose three point four percent. If you take away the seasonal adjustment, they actually fell five point nine percent. So we've got a lot of smoke and mirrors that continues on with this data, but it seems like the Fed's going to have an easier time. Powell's going to have an easier time and his hawks uh, hiding behind, if you will, to maintain this tight policy stance, inflation being too hot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they they pointed towards robust job gains in recent months, right? Is this still possibly an illusion because of the severance pay and maybe because of multi part-time jobs replacing full-time jobs? Oh, a lot of it has to do with that, right? I mean, a buddy of mine points out that if you're in the state of California and you want to go collect unemployment insurance, you might get, I think, is it thirteen or twenty thousand dollars a year? Whatever it is, is a rounding error for somebody who used to make two, three hundred thousand dollars at Google, and the thought hasn't even occurred to them to go out and apply for unemployment insurance because they're still on severance. So um, that part of the party, however, is drawing to a close. And, you know, we're actually seeing, again, I I look at the not seasonally adjusted data because with deference to the bean counters, the statisticians in Washington, D.C., they're having a really hard time seasonally adjusting the data because the pandemic's in there. A forced shutdown is in there. You know, a, a, a violent reopening of the economy, that's all in there. Of course, they're having a hard time seasonally adjusting the data. But if you just look at the number of Americans collecting unemployment insurance. That's it. From the October low to now, it's up 63%. It's a hard number. It's not going anywhere. I've watched it tick up week after week after week after week. People are like, oh, disregard, not seasonally adjusted. It's very noisy. And I'm like, there's no noise. It's just consistently rising week after week. The noise is in the seasonally adjusted data because the statisticians can't figure it out. I'm just following the actual hard number of Americans collecting unemployment benefits. That's going up steadily. Well, and then and the New York Fed just announced last week that U.S. consumer credit card debt has jumped to an all-time high of $986 billion. So how does that square with this, you know, strong labor market data that they're constantly citing? Exactly. And if you look at at specifically inside of that New York Fed data, if you look at 20-year-old buyers, 30-year-old buyers, because they break them into 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, the 20s and 30-year-olds, those are near record high levels of delinquencies, whether you're talking about credit card debt and auto debt. I mean, this is happening fast and hard. And you know what we're looking at at Quill on a week-by-week basis is the size of income tax refunds. They're not riding to the rescue this year. They're down 14% year over year in the week ended February the 10th. That's going to be a big hickey if it's three, $400 that's not in your income tax refund. And you were hoping to use that to put a down payment on a car or pay off your your holiday credit card debt. And it's not what you think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. That's also going to be a major drag on economic growth going forward that nobody wants to talk about. Luckily, it's public data. The IRS has to publish it every week. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting that they included acknowledging the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation. So how do you look at that part of the statement? Well, I mean, they have to, right? I mean, it's it's part of what academics insist on. There's lags are a real thing. They're just a lot more compressed in the current cycle than they used to be because the Fed came out with a sledgehammer. 
and pushed through the most aggressive rate hiking campaign since 1981. And that means that if long and variable lags used to be 18 to 24 months, buckle up buttercup, it's going to be closer to 12. So we're just now coming around on March 2022, that one year anniversary of when we started to see uh, this tightening campaign. This is when the economy is starting to feel it. And I go back to what I mentioned before, and that's bankruptcies. Mm-hmm. So there's only so much pressure that can can be withstood if you've got a fragile business model and you've got to refinance debts. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's game over. I can't do it at double the rate that I first borrowed at. I'm entering Chapter 11. I'm going to re- I'm, I'm going to have to restructure my, my all my my entire debt structure. That's reality, and that's how lags manifest. As they manifest in what starts to feel like a snowballing credit cycle, we're seeing the identical, as you mentioned, parallels on the household cycle side as well. Yeah, it it really seems to maybe speak to more more to the idea that the Fed always goes too far one way or the other, not realizing. Or, or not maybe learning from the lags from the last time, right? Well, you know, I'm going to push back and say that I think that Jay Powell knows damn well that there's going to be lag effects, mm-hmm. and he welcomes them. I think if, if if he can break the back of the Fed put and and have individual bankruptcies occur one at a time and put zombies either out of business or restructure their debts so that they're no longer a zombie – if he can do that and there's no major credit event that is economy-wide or global or systemic in nature, if this can be an organized demolition, a controlled demolition, I think he's going to be happy for that. That's why he wants to keep policy tight throughout 2023. He knows it's a policy mistake, mm-hmm. but it's a policy mistake that he's willing to make if he can finally break the dysfunctional relationship that Alan Greenspan established in 1987 that put Wall Street in the driver's seat making monetary policy and took it away from the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. So if if Jay Powell wants to write that imbalance, he's going to have to hide behind specious inflation data and specious jobs data in order to keep that tightening stance. But he's going to start watching. Again, the credit cycle has come unglued. We are watching it in real time. If you wake up the next morning and some major country hasn't blown up, though, it's not systemic. It's not global. He can keep going. Mm -hmm. Well, when the Fed says that it measures financial conditions and they either haven't changed or even eased since December, what data are they looking at? They're looking at the stock market that came rip-roaring back. Um, And that's when they conveniently referred to what financial conditions were three weeks ago, as opposed to what they've been a little bit more recently. So that's the beauty of the minutes, right? Mm -hmm. You can either massage the minutes to reflect what you want for it to reflect five minutes ago, or you can say, oh, no, 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 we're looking back three weeks at what financial conditions were then when Mm -hmm. the stock market was still really high. So, um, but but the truth is financial conditions really have eased appreciably, even with the backup that we've seen in rates. And you know, that's that's why you've seen companies maybe at a higher interest rate, but you haven't exactly seen a deep freeze in commercial in in corporate bond issuance. So you'll know it when financial conditions are tight. Mm-hmm. You'll know really well. But at least, you know, to their credit, they did mention the debt ceiling standoff. And that that could be, oh, I don't know, problematic going forward if it's not resolved. Mm -hmm. That's the understatement of the year, given (laughs) the real fallout that we're seeing in commercial real estate. And we're seeing commercial real estate. And they mentioned that in the minute specifically. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that on a day-to-day-to-day basis. And that is 
not quite as controlled as the corporate bankruptcy cycle right now with companies sending back the keys to entire office buildings. That's a little bit more dramatic than just your plain vanilla chapter 11 filing. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the debt limit issue. Why do we have to keep going through that? Is that not all theater in a way? Well, it is Kabuki theater. It's complete and total Kabuki theater. It was Kabuki theater in 2011, even though the sovereign debt rating in the United States was downgraded by Standard & Poor's. Why did S&P downgrade? Oh, I don't know. Because after all that Kabuki theater, was there a scintilla of reform to entitlement spending? The answer is no. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a myth that the United States is going to be forced to default on its debt. There's a lot of other types of monies that don't have to be spent that would would impair the the running of the government, would potentially put a pause on Medicare and Social Security funding. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, of, of defaulting on the national debt, that's that doesn't necessarily have, have to happen because it's such a small percentage right now, right. interest costs, of what it costs to keep the government up and running. There was a very good Wall Street Journal op-ed on that just a few days ago. Um, so, you know, as kabuki as it's always been, I take my hat off to the few conservatives who are saying, let's take this opportunity to actually do what we couldn't do in 2011 mm-hmm. and address entitlement spending. What are we, France? Where if you raise the retirement age by like a half a year, there's going to be riots in the streets. For God's sake, we live longer lives. Mm-hmm. They should be able to be adults. Our elected officials should be able to be adults and rationally look at reforms that that don't compromise the, the, the finances of the United States going forward if entitlement spending is not put under control. So Yes, it's kabuki. You're younger than I am. It's always been kabuki in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. But should these discussions be had? Yes, they should. But in in some ways, that goes against the the incentive structure of getting reelected, doesn't it? Of course, it does. But that's what I'm saying. Our politics it, it should be had. Yeah, it sh- it should be had. And it, I mean, look, Kevin McCarthy waited for 15 votes before he finally got his gavel. I mean, at least the guy has exemplified that if nothing else, he's patient. Mm-hmm. So that could be, you know, that that could be the most toxic of all characteristics. If he just proves to be patient through the summer and into the fall saying, you're not listening on the other side of the aisle. We said we want to talk about entitlement spending. Mm-hmm. If all he is is patient, that might be all we need to finally have this discussion. And he doesn't really have too much of a choice because those who were withholding giving him the gavel have already told him in no uncertain circumstances, if you disregard us, you're losing your gavel. Mm-hmm. We'll vote you right out of office. So we're at an interesting juncture in U.S. history. We're at a fascinating juncture in U.S. history because a few holdouts can actually alter the leadership structure of the United States House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. So the White House and the Democrats can talk as big of a game as they want. Right now, it's the GOP that's actually in the position of being able to negotiate. So we'll see what happens. You know, thinking about the the path forward in the Fed as well, you mentioned before we started here today, the two of the nominees going mm-hmm. forward, and it was a little bit interesting to you. Why is that? So, uh, you know, um, I I was intrigued that Charlie Evans, who has since retired, 
as the president of the Chicago Fed. The Chicago Fed, uh, by the way, the Chicago and Cleveland Feds are a notch more powerful than the other nine district bank presidents to get a tiny bit into the weeds. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the the vice chair of the Federal Open Market Committee is the president of the New York Fed. That is a permanent voting member who has the same voting power as any member of the Federal Reserve Board in Washington, D.C. that must be confirmed by the Senate. The heads of Federal Reserve District Banks, they only have to be approved by their board of directors, so the Chicago Fed Board of Directors, and then they have to be given the nod by the Federal Reserve Board in Washington, D.C. They have to get the blessing. Well, as it turned out, my view from inside baseball, it looked like they installed Austin Goolsby to be president of the Chicago Fed in order to have somebody conveniently in place to replace Lael Brainerd, who the administration knew in advance would be stepping down and stepping into a leadership position uh, in, in the White House, advising the president on, on economics. So with that being said, it was leaked to the media that Christopher Waller and Michelle Bowman, two of uh, the most hawkish conservative members of the Federal Open Market of the, of the Federal Reserve Board, that they voted against Goolsby's being appointed in Chicago. Let me tell you, it, this was not highly unusual. This press, this leak to the press, this was unprecedented, and it was it was announced right after the White House said, "You know what? Oh, we've already got somebody in place. We've got Austin Goolsby to replace Lael Brainerd as vice chair of the Federal Reserve Board, one of the triumvirate of the three most powerful people on the Fed board." And then it was released that there were two votes against him to even be appointed to the Chicago Fed position of the presidency. Lo and behold, after the minutes are released and the drama that came with it or lack of drama, nothing burger, blah, blah, blah. The White House announces just today that there are two other candidates now for that position. So they raised the white flag and they said, "Okay, our bait and switch with Goolsby didn't work. So now we're going to have to put up two other Ph.D. candidates, women. Diversity, inclusion, blah, 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 check boxes. Uh, but it doesn't look like they're going to be able to get in uh, one of the Obama administration's closest advisors and just replace a dove with a dove. Right. And that is the point of really what happened this afternoon is that that the the hawks on the Federal, Federal Open Market Committee, the hawks on the Federal Reserve Board were able to check a victory in their column mm-hmm. and the White House checked a loss in theirs by having to put forth two more names. So- Yes, inside baseball, but score one for the Hawks. We need more of them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I appreciate you being able to, to speak to, the, to that level of, you know, inside baseball or detail that we don't necessarily get anywhere else. Um, Danielle, the, the last thing I want to touch touch on with you is the seasonal adjustment of CPI. We saw it, you know, recalculated and it ended up coming in, what was it, two two tenths hotter than last month. So going forward, do you do you see that in a way helping them because that is the the adjustment was in housing, correct? And considering what you and I spoke about earlier, the idea that we're we're very likely seeing a much softer housing market going forward, do you think that helps the Fed going forward? Well, it helps the Fed going forward when they eventually get to their easing campaign. Mm-hmm. Um because housing will have a higher weight going forward. In the medium term, it certainly helps Jay Powell because housing comes through the CPI with such a massive lag that it's actually going to 
going to inflate. It's going to keep the CPI higher than it otherwise would be in the interim, which is the period he wants to keep rates high and he wants to keep quantitative tightening going on in the background. Mm-hmm. In the medium term, it's beneficial to the hawks that that the shelter has been given a higher weight in the consumer price index going forward. It'll fade away heading into the second half of the year, into the spring. Mm-hmm. But for the moment, um, it gives them a little bit of extra added shock value in what's reported for inflation. And that's exactly what they're looking for. Right. Excellent, Danielle. Well, I appreciate you coming on and discussing the the intricacies of what we're looking at here and maybe giving us some of the the more exciting news versus the you know maybe nothing burger as some people did call the the fed minutes this week or this month well it's exciting for me but it shouldn't be exciting for most <laughs> and i appreciate <laughs> you having me <laughs> anytime danielle of course at d martino booth on twitter and yep. quillintelligence.com and please come to my new Substack. Come to dmartinaboot.substack.com. So we've got our, our retail offering up there, high and pride. So high, high and proud. So come see that as well. Wonderful. Thanks for your time today, Danielle. Thank you. Take care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.